Black gods die. Death is our companion. Commander Iron Fist was addressing the scrubs in one of their little training buildings. Yesterday, one of our own was killed. Lucia. The remaining 20 scrubs had been given the night off after Lucia's death, but they had been told to be here in formation first thing in the morning, or be kicked out. All had come. Lucia had little chance of making it into our company. That's right. In the harsh light of death, other people lie. Other people lie because they fear death, and fear that when they die, others will speak the truth about them. Our challenge is to live in such a way that the truth is no embarrassment. Lucia wasn't a great fighter, but she was brave, and she was honorable, and she didn't deserve to be murdered by some coward with a musket. We'll find him. We're out looking for him now, and when we find him, we'll kill him. In the meantime, we have work to do. With the Blackguard, we always have work to do. Trainer? Trainer Fisk came before the class, but Kip looked over to Cruxer. The boy's face was like iron. War will be your teacher. We're going to war. As some of you may know, the Spectrum has decided to send us to defend Rue. We've seen it coming. Now it's here. We planned to have two more weeks of training before we selected the trainees out of your class, especially after Lucia was killed. But blackguards don't stand still. Better we don't, anyway. The final round of testing is today. I know that some of you might be beat up from fighting yesterday. Sorry, tough. Your class is down to 20. 14 will become blackguard trainees. Those of you who get cut, you can try again next season. And I hope you will. Despite that, we're taking twice as many initiates as we usually do. This has been an unexpectedly fine class. Your odds to pass next time are very good. You'll be seated at the top of that class, above the legacies. Now, all of you, to the grounds! Double time! When they arrived, jogging smartly in line, Kip saw that there were perhaps 2,000 spectators ready to watch them. Of those, maybe only a third were full blackguards or blackguard trainees in the years ahead of Kip's class. Kip realized that he wasn't winded from the jog. He was a long way from the physical condition the best students were in, but he was getting stronger, slowly. He was also glad that Tia had told him today would probably be the final test. Kip had been able to hide the dagger in the Prism's training room, so he didn't have to wear it on his ankle, and no one could get in there. As always, they took their places, and Trainer Fisk stood before them to give them the rules. You pick your colors. No spectacles, no weapons. As before, you can challenge three places above you. You win their token, you can challenge again. Those at the bottom get to challenge first. Mercy or unconsciousness as judged by me. We know you want to win and that everything is riding on these fights for some of you. But anyone who maims an opponent during testing will be kicked out. There was a current in the air, like before a lightning storm. This test separated scrubs from blackguards. Even if they washed out or got injured before final vows, if they made it through today, they would forever have that rare badge of honor, blackguard. Those who were slaves who made it through today's test would have their contracts put in escrow by the Chromeria itself. Nothing would be allowed to interfere with their training until they washed out or stood to take their final vows and had their price paid by the Chromeria itself. The price they commanded would make their masters wealthy, but the sale itself wasn't voluntary. They would be instantly in a different class. 
They would, of course, still owe their obedience to the Blackguard and would serve until retirement. But even a Blackguard slave was a Blackguard. Internally, there was no difference in duties or in privileges. A woman from a hundred generations of nobles like Karis White Oak served on exactly the same schedule as Pan Harl, whose ancestors had been slaves for eight of the last ten generations. Today was everything. As Kip and the others walked toward the ring, they were each handed a token. If you make it into the Blackguard, you will keep the token you win this week. Whichever token you have at final vows, you will keep with you for life. Trainer Fisk pulled out a necklace he wore and showed them an old gold token with a four inscribed on it. Those with the highest numbers will be your lieutenants, initially. Now, get in line! Kip got in line, an older trainee checking each name against the order list and giving the top 14 fighters gold tokens, those below that bronze. On the front of each coin was a number in Perean script with a verse of some ancient text that Kip couldn't read. On the obverse was a fighter, each coin bearing a different etching. But Kip's coin was bronze, with an etching of a woman with a spinning staff on it and a Perean 18 on the back. Sir, I'm 15th place, not 18th! The entire circle got quiet. Not only the scrubs, but all the other blackguards and blackguard trainees. You didn't contradict a trainer. And indeed, Trainer Fisk's face darkened. You didn't check the list. Your cadre didn't finish yesterday. All of you are bumped down three spots. That's bullshit! <gasps> Kip clapped a hand over his mouth. Blackguards guard their tongues. You just lost a color for that, son. If you have anything else to say, you'll forfeit. You want to do that? Kip swallowed. Shook his head. You're counting our fight yesterday as a loss? This time the voice was Cruxer's. He came forward. Did you see how Breaker fought? We made it through everything because of him. We won! There were only good neighborhoods left between where we were and where that bastard murdered Lucia. I'm sorry, sir, but Breaker's right. This is bullshit. You're making it nearly impossible for you're still a scrub, and if you don't remember your place, so help me, I will bounce your ass out of here right this second! The mission was to bring the money back to the Cremaria. You didn't do it! No excuses! You failed! Kip had never seen Cruxer angry, much less furious, but the boy was now. For a second, Kip thought Cruxer was going to punch Trainer Fisk. A tremor flew through the crowd like a plucked cord on a Santria. Every Blackguard here had been trained to anticipate violence. And every one of them saw the same thing. But Kip stepped forward and put a hand on Cruxer's arm. A holem won't let injustice long stand, right? Cruxer was religious. Kip thought using Aluxiot's platitudes might redirect his classmate. <sighs> a fact we all would do well to remember. His tone was level, but his eyes didn't leave Trainer Fisk's. So, who's first? Oil on the waters, Kip. Oil smoothing troubled waters. Trainer Fisk glowered at him. Winston, you're up! Who do you challenge? Winston was 20th among the scrubs. Mountain Perean, but without their usual tall, thin build. He had a fair amount of baby fat and was one of the younger scrubs. He was an odd one, sometimes brilliant, sometimes terribly stupid. Tia thought that next year he'd be formidable. This year, though, his odds of making it were terrible. Not someone to be scared of. Kip scowled suddenly, realizing he was describing himself, too. Breaker. The pair walked together toward the Hellstone. I'm going to stand still and try to draft. I'll fail. Just shoot me hard with one of those green balls of yours, would you? Knock the wind out of me. Get this submission. What? Try to make it look good, would you? Then Trainer Fisk was there. Callas? What? Kip felt like he didn't understand anything. It's the final fight. 
Scrubs get access to all their colors. Well, minus one for you. It's important that Scrubs learn to deal with good luck and bad in the previous testings, but we want this to be a fair test of your real fighting skill. I know you drafted Red that once, but you've never declared it. Oh, right. In his talks with Tia, they'd agreed that Kip should keep his polychromacy a secret as long as possible. Of course, if he kept it secret too long, he'd simply lose a fight that he could have won. Ante up and play. Um, blue and green will be fine, so if I lose one, I'll keep green. It was possible that not everyone remembered him using red weeks ago in his fight with Farcuti, or thought it a fluke, and if Kip kept fighting without other colors, he might confirm that speculation and give himself an edge later. Winston and Kip took their places in the dark. They pressed their fingers to the Hellstone Pillar to make sure they were drained of Luxon, though Trainer Fisk didn't press their fingers down very hard. Then they stepped back, and a few moments later, the shutters dropped from the colored crystals overhead, and the circle was lit in blue and green spotlights. Wondering if Winston was setting him up somehow, Kip nonetheless drafted his trusty green bouncy ball of doom. He really needed to figure out more drafting techniques. He was supposed to be some kind of polychrome, and though the little bit he was doing with Tia and Iron Fist had hardly taught him anything new, it was making him better at what he already knew, but he wasn't sure that would be enough. Strange how in becoming a drafter, it seemed like the last thing he had time to do was... Kip's thoughts were interrupted as... Across from him, Winston had a blue staff forming in his hands. It was almost finished when he lost it. The Luxon shimmered and broke apart. Leaving Winston stunned for a second, the green ball was ready. Kip shot it straight into Winston's gut. Kip ran to the boy and put a foot on his neck. Kip helped Winston stand. Thanks. What the... What was that? Don't say anything to the trainer. I'm a slave, Breaker. My owner needs the money he'd get from me making it in. He needs it bad. And? And fuck him. The boy might not get another chance to get into the Black Guard. Do me a favor, would you? Get in. If I lost to a guy who eventually got in, it's not so bad. Do my best. Hey, Winston. How good are you? On a good day? Top five. Like to you, Breaker. They parted. Winston heading toward an aghast, weeping noble. Kip would have felt sorry for the owner if he didn't know that for some reason Winston hated the man enough to jeopardize his own future. And Winston seemed like a good person. It was a good reminder. Kip thought he was at the center of everything. Everything was about Kip. And there were tragedies and comedies passing right before his eyes that he didn't even see. Nineteen was up next, and given that she was directly below Kip, he figured he'd get a rest. Nineteen was a girl named Tufeyer, and she was ranked appropriately so far as Kip and Tia could guess. So she'd try for sixteen and then thirteen. Getting lucky twice was a lot more likely than getting lucky three or four times. Kip took his place in the numbered line, starting to plot his own line of challenges. He wished that he'd gotten to stand next to Tia so he could talk it over with her. She understood this all better than he did. But then, Tufeyer came to stand in front of him. I challenge Kip! Kip looked at her in disbelief and she shrugged. He followed her eyes to who was above him, Beryl and Balder. A flash of understanding illuminated the outlines of something bigger going on, but Kip lost it. He was the sensible challenge, he supposed. Again, he'd been planning on skipping Beryl and Balder himself. Neither of them should have been placed so low. He thought they should both be in the top 14. But he had to go out to the middle of the ring again. If he lost once, he was out, just like that. They went to the Hellstone and then took their place. The spotlights came on, blue and green, but Tefeyer wasn't interested in drafting. 
She aimed a kick at the side of Kip's head, and he saw an opening to go for the knee of her other leg with a sharp low kick of his own. But that was a crippling blow. He hesitated. He absorbed her kick instead, his hesitation earning him ringing ears. She used the opening to punch him in the face. Kip staggered backward. She punched for his face again, but he ducked into the blow and her fist smashed against his forehead. She didn't stop. As he hunched, she threw flurries of blows at him. Then she snagged his arm and went for a submission hold. Kip rushed into her and they both fell, as graceful as mating turtles. Tefeo went for a scissor submission with her legs, but her legs weren't long enough to get around Kip's girth and lock easily. Kip rolled on top of her, angling the whole of his body weight onto her torso. He grabbed one of her arms with both of his, and then simply lay across her face. The girl bucked, kicking her feet up to try to roll Kip off of her, but she wasn't strong enough. With her free hand, she went for Kip's nuts, but he pressed his hip down, and she wasn't strong enough to burrow underneath. She jerked, trying to get her hand away, failing. Then she panicked, unable to breathe, flailing. Kip stood and offered her a hand, but she stormed away. Kip walked back to his spot, already tired, and was surprised to see Commander Iron Fist himself waiting for him at the rail. Oh, thank Oholam. Now that Gavin was back, the commander was going to march in and say, Breaker is a special case. He's in regardless. And Kip wouldn't have to go through the humiliation of getting his ass beat by fighters who weren't even going to be in the Blackguard. As usual, the scrubs leaned in toward him, but the commander gave flat looks to a few, and they all melted back. Kip came to stand before him. The commander's jaw was set, and he looked so quietly intense that Kip swallowed. You think it's different because he's back? It's not. You're still on your own. Then... He left. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, and Kip was up next. He looked at the lineup. Some good luck anyway, right? A tiny bit. He could skip over Beryl and Balder and take on Ugurden at 15th place. If anything, Ugurden should have been 19th or 20th. Kip had a good chance, right? Sure. Taking his challenge token, Kip brought it to Ugurden and set it on the rail in front of the boy, who didn't look surprised at all. Kip took his time getting out to the circle, trying to catch his breath. He saw Tia scowling, thinking. We got a lot of fights today, Breaker. Get a move on! Ugurton was tall, but gangly and awkward, a monochrome blue. The boys took their spots, weighing each other. Then the lights went out, and back on, blue and green. Kip drafted green as quickly as he could, and Ugurton seemed content to stand back and draft two. <laughs> But when Kip shot out a green ball, Ugurton dodged and straightened a moment later, having drafted a pair of T-batons. Kip had never fought with those weapons, but it was clear Ugurton had. With the handles in hand, he swung the batons in a quick circle and brought them to rest along his forearms. Then the boy came at Kip fast, in order not to give him time to draft anything else. Kip kicked at his leg, but Ugurton blocked, cracking a T-baton across Kip's shin, hobbling him. He stepped and punched for Kip's stomach. The other end of the baton extended beyond his fist, and it stabbed Kip's stomach hard. Heaving forward, Kip deflected the follow-up punch, and it only grazed his jaw rather than tearing his head off, and Ugurton lost one of the T-batons. He let it go and punched Kip again. Kip tried to keep his balance and failed. He fell, and Ugurton was on top of him in a moment, sitting on his chest, using his remaining baton to choke him. Kip got one hand in front of his neck, but Ugurton was using both of his hands and all his weight to press down. Kip kept hoping the blue would shatter. Blue wasn't supposed to be good for this, but it didn't. The world was turning dark, stars blooming in Kip's vision. He couldn't breathe. He was staring into the spotlight. He flooded blue luxon around the entirety of Ugurton's T-baton. He found the seals on the baton and opened them. 
the baton dissolved suddenly in a small cloud of chalk and resin. Without the thing he'd been putting all of his weight on, Ugurton pitched forward straight into Kip's forehead and instantly went limp. Kip walked over and grabbed the boy's challenge token. Still bronze, 15th place. This one depicted a man with crossed swords sheathed behind his back, unlimbering both. Aram was at 14th and was one of the best boys in the class. Tala, a yellow-green bichrome named after the hero of the False Prisms War, was at 13. She wasn't the greatest fighter, but she was an excellent drafter. Kip hoped she made it in. That meant Kip had to go for number 12, Oreto, one of Aram's friends. Oreto was actually the worst fighter out of Aram's friends, quick but unimaginative. So it was strange that she was the highest ranked. Kip paled, looked at the places again. If he and Tia had ranked everyone in the class correctly in their conversations, this was all wrong. You going to stand there all day, or you going to challenge someone? Please, pick me. Fighting Aram was suicide, even if Kip did want to wipe that smirk off the boy's face. Now, Kip wasn't seeing it. He needed a new perspective. The light in between the fights was full spectrum. And so was Kip, right? He tightened his eyes and drafted Superviolet. Superviolet was supposed to be alien, aloof, apart, and arrogant. Oh, shit! Kip forgot that the first time you draft a color, it exerts a lot more control over you. He walked up to Oreto and slapped his challenge token down. Trade you my bronze for your gold. <laughs> Colors? Green and yellow. None. What'd you say? I don't need any colors to throw out this trash. Ooh-hoo! You get a bonus if you're the one who knocks me out. Her face went blank, stricken for half a moment. What are you talking about? Do you have any idea how much smarter I am than you? All emotions but hatred drained out of her face. I'm going to enjoy this breaker. They took their places in the middle of the large circle. It was 20 paces across. Stepping out for more than five seconds would result in disqualification. Neither of them had spectacles. They would get pure light from the great colored crystals above the huge underground chamber. Trainer Fisk examined each of them in turn to make sure they hadn't already drafted, being more careful now that they were in the fights that mattered. Eyes. Palms. Satisfied, he stepped back and gestured that the crystals above be covered. He put their fingers on the hellstone, but didn't press hard enough, as he hadn't before. Kip rolled his shoulders, shook his head, loosening up. He took his spot across from her in the darkness. And... go! The shutters over the crystals dropped open. Kip charged. He didn't try to draft the green or the yellow light streaming over him. Instead, he threw one hand forward and shot out the super-violet Luxon he'd already drafted, poking Aredo in both eyes. She staggered backward, holding her eyes, plans blown. Then Kip sprinting, jumped straight at her, spearing her stomach with his head. Landing on top of her, Kip scrambled to his feet and picked up the prostrate girl by the waist of her trousers and her collar, ran her to the edge of the circle, and heaved her out of it. Toledo no! struggled to Three, get to her feet four, and failed. Five. Breaker wins! Take Arado to the infirmary. Breaker, you have one minute until your next fight. Fisk came closer. So you can use Superviolet now? A little, sir. You know you're not supposed to pack Luxon. Someone taught me to use every advantage and surprise I have. That someone, of course, was looking at him. You got it past me, but it won't happen again, Breaker. Smart not to declare your polychromacy, but you won't always get lucky and have opponents use your colors. Hope you've got other tricks. Always, sir. Oh, shit. 
Me too. He shook out the last of the superviolet. The arrogance there hadn't cost him, but it should have. No colors? How stupid was he? Also, never do that spearing thing again. You'll break your damn neck. Yes, sir. Breaker! Come here. Kruxer stood at the edge of the circle. Kip came over. You're not safe yet. You know that, right? I know. I've got to win one more. You have a plan? Might not be a good one. I... Kip looked again at the placement. He was number 12 now. He had to finish the day at 14 or better to stay in, but after he fought, everyone below him got to fight next. So if he won one more fight, he was safe. But if he lost this fight, the next fighter would be Balder. From his spot at 18th, he would challenge 16th, Ugurton, rather than take on his friend Aram at 15th. Ugurton had already failed out, so no problem there. Then Balder would take on Tala at 14. She was a great drafter, but she wasn't that fast. Not yet. He'd take her out easily, clearing the path. From there, he could either challenge Kip, or skip right past him and challenge Eleven. Maybe he'd even climb higher, but that didn't matter. The only people who could climb after Balder went were the lower-ranked Aram and Beryl. All of Beryl's fights could be against people who'd already lost, and he too could skip right past Kip. Then Aram would go, again only having to fight people who'd already lost until he got past Kip. If Aredo hadn't bungled and lost to Kip, all four friends would still make it into the Blackguard training. The more Kip looked at it, the more brilliant it seemed. Aram, Balder, and Beryl all belonged in the top ten. Even Aredo was close. One or two of them might easily get unlucky and come to the final testing lower than they deserved, but all of them? Kip, you look like you just swallowed a lemon. And all of them, despite finishing low, were in places from which they could still make it into the Blackguard and without ever being pitted against each other or against Kip. If they'd need a pack to keep him out, and had grouped themselves 13th, 14th, and 15th to make a ceiling beyond which he couldn't rise, the collusion would have been obvious. But this, this was subtle. Hell, they'd guarantee that 20th and 19th places would both challenge Kip. So if he'd been a good boy and lost, they wouldn't even have had to fight him at all in order to knock him out of contention. And even if he won against 19 and 20, he'd be fatigued and easier to beat. It's a conspiracy. And they don't even have to touch me. What? Kruxer, can I win against 9 or 11? Tia was at 10. He wasn't going to take her on. Anything can happen. How about against Aram? No. What happened to anything can happen? Not anything. Kip, time's up. Who are you challenging? For one mad moment, the Green and Kip wanted him to challenge Aram, even though Aram was two spots below him. That was stupidity. Kip could still be wrong, or others might lose. It didn't have to be the way he'd foreseen. Kip, challenge me. Kip knew instantly what she meant. She'd let him win. He'd get in. It's who you know, not how good you are. Kip wanted to get in with his whole heart. They were going to bury him. But if he got in by cheating, it would taint everything he ever achieved. He would be no better than Aram and his friends. And if Kip and Tia got caught cheating, which the trainers always looked for when partners sparred, both of them would get bounced. For him, it would be embarrassing. For Tia, it would be a total disaster. Yet she'd offered. She was a friend. A real friend. Better than he deserved. Kip stepped forward and challenged number 11, Rig. Kip! He ignored her. Didn't look toward her at all, even after he got into the ring. He asked for super violet and blue for his colors. Rig had red and orange, but Kip knew he was finished. Red and orange weren't helpful in the kind of training fights the Blackguard did, because there was no safe way to light an opponent on fire. The training was naturally biased against Rig, 
which meant that he could only be ranked so highly because he was a great physical fighter. It wasn't until Kip stepped into the ring that he realized an even worse blunder than picking Rig. He should have declared all colors. He had nothing to lose now. The whole point of not declaring the colors was so he could use them on his last fight. And in his rash idiocy and false heroism, he'd blown it. Tia had been trying to tell him, and he thought she was going to praise him for his nobility or something. It went just as Kip expected. Rig would dart in and disrupt Kip every time Kip tried to draft, and soon he closed and they grappled. Rig slipped behind Kip, keeping his face down and batting aside every attack Kip tried with Blue Luxon until Kip was empty. Then Kip did the only thing he could think of. He filled Rig's mouth and nose with Superviolet while imprisoning his hands, but the boy didn't panic, didn't move. He snapped the Superviolet with his tongue and teeth and choked Kip out. And just like that, Kip's future was out of his own hands. He was 12th out of 14. Rig helped him stand up. <sighs> nice try there, Breaker. Best of luck making it in. But Kip knew he'd already lost. The Master. Hurtled into the pitch blackness of the chamber, Kip still somehow knew exactly where everything was. I memorized the room. That was it. And in. Boom. Kip? Something about Kip? Why did that pass through my mind? I cocked my head to the side. Odd. Doubtless the whelp is asleep on the deck, recovering. I take my gloves off and try to suppress the rage that floods me at the sight of my hands. Damn them. Damn them all. Thin threads of red luxon glimmer in the darkness. Veins of fire through the dross of my skin. I push back my hood. Where is the boy hiding it? I'd had his room searched. I had pickpockets to jostle his tubby body. Nothing! Rage crests and I bow my fists, clamping my eyes shut. I can feel the room growing brighter, hotter. I'm going to make it to someday. To hell with it. I'm going to go now and find him. I'll beat the boy to death, injured as he is if I have to. Maybe it is madness. My hand is on the door before I remember my gloves and cloak. I pull on the gloves and snarl at the brief reflection of a man limbed in red fire in the mirror. I pull the hood down and step into the hall. Kip went to stand by Tia and Cruxer. At their prodding, he explained his conspiracy theory, and then together they watched it play out, exactly as he'd foreseen. Balder fought and beat Ugurton, then he fought and beat Tala, and for a moment Kip thought the boy would challenge him and give him another chance, but instead, sneering, the boy challenged Eleven and won. That Eleven fight took a lot out of Balder, though, and he got smashed against Nine. They reordered, and with Balder now at Eleventh, Kip was moved down to 13th place. Then Beryl was up. He fought as Kip had expected too, skipping Aram and taking on fighters who were already out, and then skipping Kip, who spat at his feet. Beryl made it to 12th and lost to 9th. Kip shuffled down to 14th. Aram challenged three up from himself, 15th, which was Aredo. She was already out no matter what, so she conceded without fighting. All Aram had to do was win one more fight, and if he did, Kip was out. He came up to the bar and looked over the prospects, standing almost directly in front of Kip. You coward! You're not smart enough to figure this out! Who did it? How much did they pay you to do this? A flash of fury came over Aram's face, quickly smoothed away. You cheater! 
What did you think? That you're some modern-day Arad? Arad didn't take money for what he did. He didn't use a team. You're shit compared to him. You're going to skip me. Me, the one you were hired to block. You think you're the best in the class. You think you're better than Kruxer, but you're afraid to take me on. I've got a lot of fights to win today, Kip. I don't need to tire myself on unnecessary- So fighting with me will tire you out? Thought you were amazing. Didn't Arad fight everyone in the class on his way up? And you won't even fight one fatty at 14th place. You're a legend, all right, Aram. Aram the Unready will call you. Aram the Arammed. Kip had no idea what the latter meant. He just made it up. Aram did- Aram slammed down his token in front of Kip. <laughs> I'm going to kill you. Aram strode off into the middle of the circle. Kruxer was at Kip's side an instant later. Now Kip, after the back kick, Aram likes to throw a roundhouse punch, either stomach or face. He gets a lot of power into that thing, but if you can sidestep and come in, it'll be wide open. I've seen it. I'm just not fast enough to take advantage of it. Time! Come forward! Anything else? Please? He's a fast drafter, too. Watch out for that. You're lucky, though. Right, Breaker? Very. Breaker! Forward or out? That's something, then. I didn't say it was good luck. Kip turned to walk into the center of the circle. Then he saw the worst thing in the world. A ripple of recognition passed through the assembled blackguards and trainees as someone came to the front rows to watch. Gavin. Gavin was here. Prism Gavin Gile himself had come to see his son test. And Kip was about to fail. Of course he'd come now. Of course he couldn't have come early enough to see Kip win the earlier fights, to see Kip do clever things. No, he came now when Kip was out of ideas and out of luck. Just in time for Kip to shame him. Are you ill, Breaker? Oh, and of course the prism sat next to Commander Iron Fist. Might as well let everyone down at once. Beautiful. I'm envisioning a great victory. You arrogant little shit! I didn't say it was mine. Huh? Not my... victory. Look, jokes don't work when you have to explain that. No, forget it. Are you calling me stupid? Uh, no, but if the shoe fits... I am going to punish you, Kip. I think we already don't understand each other at all. Enough! Colors? Green and yellow. All colors. You're claiming to be a full-spectrum polychrome breaker? There was a right answer here. Um... Yes? Bad time to announce that. What? Kip had thought it was the perfect time to announce it. Full-spectrum polychromes have such advantages over normal drafters that the Blackguards long ago established that to test their actual ability to be a Blackguard, they must be limited to share whatever colors their opponent chooses. Plus one. What? So by my saying I could draft more colors, you give me less? Precisely. Well, that's bull- Trainer Fisk arched an eyebrow. That's very hard to take. <clears throat> and I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's fair, the prism's bastard says. You little bitch, you shouldn't even be here. Aram, I don't know who bought you off, but I'm going to crush your face. You're going to beat me today, no doubt, but I'll be back. I'm going to hurt you, Kip. I'm going to make you blubber like the fat little pig you are. Fuck you! Breaker, you are right on the line. Say one more word, and you lose your extra color. Word! Go hole up, damn you! Trainer Fisk grabbed Kip by his collar. That's it! You lose your extra color. You know, boy, you have a choice. 
Are you going to be Kip the Lip, the loser who always has the last word, or are you going to be Breaker? I think you've made your choice for today. Maybe when you come back in six months, you'll be grown up enough to choose differently. Trainer Fisk was seething. He turned to the crowd. Why was he so angry? Why was he so hostile suddenly? Kip the Lip? He'd said Kip the Lip. Why the hell? Andros Guile. That would also explain why Trainer Fisk was so angry. He wasn't angry at Kip, he was angry about Kip. Andros Guile was forcing Trainer Fisk to make it as hard as possible for Kip to pass, forcing Trainer Fisk to betray his oaths. It didn't matter how. What mattered was that Kip was making what Andros Guile had asked Trainer Fisk to do all too easy. The trainer didn't even look at Kip now. Kip Guile has claimed to be a full-spectrum polychrome. There hasn't been one of those in the Black Art for 70 years. There are rules. We've consulted them. Because of their innate advantages, full-spectrum polychromes get to choose only one color in addition to what their opponent chooses. For foul language, Breaker loses that choice. The colors for this bout will be green and yellow. Iron Fist's gaze was like a millstone. Kip looked away and found his father's. Gavin Guile looked disappointed already. Damn me, damn me, Kip the Lip. I played right into his hands. Kip almost. That's who I am, almost. I almost beat the threshing, but I gave up. I was almost a hero, but I chose cowardice instead. I almost saved my village. I almost saved Issa. I almost saved Sanson. But I didn't even almost save my mother. Hell, almost is generous. I haven't almost avenged her. I swore I would. I took some little steps telling myself I had to make it into the Blackguard to get access to the records in the library, but really, I've been happy to forget her. Some son, some loyalty. They might have conspired to keep me out of the top 14, but, but could I have really made it on my own? Probably not. Would I have made the top seven? Definitely not. The only good things in my life are the things that have been given to me. No wonder they hate me. I haven't earned anything. <laughs> Why, little Kip the Leap? Are you crying? I'm going to kill you, you motherfucker. A backhand cracked across Kip's jaw. Kip, one more word, and I'll spare you the beating you're about to get and revoke your chance to try again in six months. This time, Kip said nothing. He didn't even spit out the blood in his mouth, lest Trainer Fisk misinterpret it. Trainer! I'd like to withdraw one of my colors. I only need green. The trainer nodded and gave the order. Heads! Each boy in turn let his finger be pressed firmly on the hellstone and then took their places, illuminated only in white light. Then the lights were shuttered. And? Kip started running forward. He thought he had the timing just about perfect. Go! Kip was already airborne as the lights came blazing on. Flying sidekick. And miraculously, Aram was still standing right in line. Kip fell, but popped back up to his feet in a moment. Aram had been shot all the way out of the circle. He rolled over, and for a moment Kip thought he'd knock the wind out of his opponent. If Aram wasn't able to breathe for five seconds, Kip would win, just like that. What? Aram jumped back to his feet and rushed back into the circle. Kip met him at the edge, determined to keep him out. Back kick. It was fast. So fast, Kip was lucky to jump backward out of its reach, which also meant he was safe from the follow-up punch, which also meant Aram got into the circle with no problem. And there goes my chance. Aram was still in pain, though. Kip could tell. 
Unless he was faking it to lure Kip into some kind of trap. As Kip moved in closer, Aram lashed out. A lightning fast pop to Kip's nose. Too fast to stop. It wasn't hard, but it stunned Kip. Then Aram was on top of him. Kip had gotten halfway up when Aram hit him with a green luxon baton across the back. Kip struggled up to his knees again. Another baton cracked across his back. But Kip didn't go down. He saw the thought cross Aram's mind. He could crack that baton across Kip's head and put him out. But a shot to the head might leave Kip an idiot. And that would get Aram barred from the blackguard forever. Not knowing what else to do, Aram slammed the baton into Kip's back again. Kip looked up at him and grinned. Don't you know what I am? I'm the fucking turtle bear! Kip came to his feet as Aram was winding up for another swing. He caught Aram's hand in his own and pushed against him. Aram kneed Kip hard in the gut, but that only meant the older boy was off balance as Kip locked a foot behind his. Kip landed on top of the boy, but lost him almost immediately. Aram slid around and got under one of Kip's arms and started battering his kidneys with his fists. Kip tried to push off the ground, but somehow he couldn't get any leverage anywhere. Green Luxon imprisoned his hands. Pain stabbed through Kip, making it hard to think, impossible to plan. Hands manacled behind his back as he rolled onto his side. Kip used the pain like hammer blows, hardening his will. He stared up at the crystals above them, bathing them in green light, and fired tiny pebbles as hard as he could at them. The green crystal overhead shattered, plunging them into darkness and showering them with crystal rain. Kip had not only shattered the green filter, but also the mirror behind it that turned the light toward the practice field. Kip was ready for the darkness, and Aram wasn't. He'd lost his grip on the open green luxon he'd been using as Kip's manacles. The manacles broke open, and Kip slipped out of Aram's grip and swung an elbow toward the boy's head that struck a glancing blow. Then Kip was on his feet. He relaxed his eyes into subred, and he could see. Aram was on his feet, staring this way and that. Kip slugged him in the stomach and stepped back quickly. Aram turned and recovered. Kip slid to the left and punched the boy's kidney. Then, too soon, someone in the crowd cracked open a mag torch. No! Someone threw up a yellow flare. Kip tightened his eyes back to normal vision. Yellow! I can draw a dot if I'm... But Aram's first thought was martial rather than magical. He hit Kip in the nuts and tripped him. Kip's face bounced off the dirt, and then he was crushed by Aram's weight as the boy jumped on top of him. Aram pummeled both of Kip's legs, hard punches right in the sweet spot in the middle of the thigh, rendering them useless. Pain is nothing. It didn't matter what Kip told himself. This wasn't pain, this was his body's simple refusal to obey orders. He flopped over onto his stomach. Even with the few grappling classes Kip had attended, he knew it was a stupid move. Your hands are late, your weapons, go forward, not backward. Kip presented one elbow as what he hoped was a tempting target, and then convulsed his whole body, jerking his head backward as hard as he could, hoping to smash Aram's face. The back of his head glanced off the side of Aram's cheek. Not enough. The circle lit up again with natural white light as other mirrors were shifted onto the field, and the yellow light was extinguished. Kip's one hope dashed. He hadn't even had time to draft the yellow. Green filters flipped back on. Then Kip's hands were trapped. Must have been trapped in Luxon. Kip was losing sense, but Aram had gone crazy. His leg lock loosened as he concentrated solely on battering Kip to a pulp. Kip bucked, and Aram lost his balance and fell forward. Kip wriggled to his knees, but Aram clamped down on him, smashing his fists harder and harder into Kip's face. Crying, stupid with rage and pain, blood blinding him, Kip stood, lifting the older boy into the air, half on Kip's back and half on his shoulders. He felt the boy stop punching him, and his hand slip as he tried to collar Kip. The only thought in Kip's mind was to crush Aram like a bug. 
Chip lurched and threw himself toward the ground and into a large red pillow. Inexorably, Kip's limbs were pulled away and Aram's weight was borne away from him. The clouds of dense red luxon faded, leaving Kip on the ground. <laughs> Trainer Fisk examined him briskly to see how bad his injuries were, then stood. Aram wins! The top 14 is decided! From here on up, we fight for placement. But Aram, you lost control. You damn near got yourself expelled. You're done for the day. No! Trainer Fisk looked at him, then looked away, as if Kip was shaming himself. <laughs> Kip wasn't weeping from the pain, though everything was pain now. He'd been so close. He could have crushed Aram if they just let them finish the fight. He'd almost... Almost. He was Kip almost. Kip the failure. Almost good enough. He was bleeding and weeping and snotting all over himself. He looked up and expected to see Gavin leaving. Kip was an embarrassment, a weeping little girl where Gavin needed a son in his own image. Kip was nothing like his father. How could the acorn fall so far from the oak? Instead, Gavin held his gaze and beckoned Kip to come over. Kip stood up and walked over toward the wooden bleachers where his father was sitting among all the trainees. He looked down, humiliated, humiliated by the tears dripping down his face, unable to stop, unable to hide. Suddenly, everyone was clapping. Kip looked to see if Aram was flexing or something. He wasn't. Everyone who was clapping was looking at him. Him? Kip rubbed his forehead, trying to hold himself together. Him? For him? Oh, fuck. <laughs> he wanted to be one of the blackguards. They were the only people he respected. The only people in the world he wanted to be like. And he'd failed them. But they gave him this. He took a towel, ostensibly to wipe up his blood. He covered his head. Someone put an arm around him. And Kip saw his father. The father, I... They hadn't blown the whistle. I almost... The boy panicked, Kip. That grip he was going for is a neck breaker, and I think he got it. If they hadn't blown the whistle, when you hit the ground, you'd have been dead. Aram had gotten the grip. Kip had felt Aram's arms locking into place. If Aram had killed him, Aram would have been kicked out of the blackguard. Not that it would have done Kip any good at that point. I failed. Yes. He's better than you. It happens. Smart work with the crystal there. It almost work. Now come on, let's go watch. It's good to learn from those who are better than you are. Looks like your nose is broken. Best to set it quick. Kip touched his nose gingerly. Oh, that was not the right shape for a nose. <laughs> is that the thing where it makes the sound and I scream? Try not to. Heedless of Kip's sweaty hair, Gavin reached behind Kip's head holding him in place, and grabbed his nose, pulling on it. Kip didn't scream. Sure, that's the one thing I don't fail today. He followed Gavin to the bleachers, but the only part of what his father had said that stuck with him was almost, and he's better than you. A green drafter chirurgeon brought super violet-infused bandages and tended to Kip's cuts as they watched the remaining fights. With tiny needles and thread of green luxon, the man stitched up Kip's right cheek and left eyebrow, then smeared stinging unguents on those and several other cuts. Then he gave him what Kip thought was far too modest a dose of poppy tea. 
Skip was glad he was sitting because he didn't think his legs were going to let him stand. All in all, watching the fights was absolutely no good in teaching Kip anything because he couldn't pay enough attention to learn. It was, however, a good distraction. Tia defeated a challenge and then won two fights against boys who looked stunned at how fast she was. She ended up at seventh. Kip was proud of her. He could tell from her quiet grin that she was proud of herself, too. They watched until the end. Watching Kruxer fight was art. He'd been bumped down to fourth by their so-called loss in the real-world testing, too. He challenged third, second, and first, and won. Kip saw his father look over at Commander Ironfist, impressed. He a legacy? Third generation. Inanna's and Holdfast's son. Should have guessed. They still alive? Inanna is. She's been holding on. For this. He's amazing. He might even be better than you were. Ironfist raised an eyebrow. Gavin grinned. <laughs> it might have been a scent. If he lives long enough. I should go see Inanna. She was a gem. The scrubs began lining up for the little ceremony that would see them become trainees. Kip's stomach turned. Can we go now? This is your friend's moment of triumph. Think about someone other than yourself. You turn your back on them now and they'll remember it forever. Kip blinked. I'm a self-centered brat. Yes, sir. Commander Ironfist got up and went forward. All the scrubs were lined up according to their placement in the top 14. Except for Kruxer, who was down on both knees in the training circle. Head bowed, one hand to his eyes and forehead in the sign of the three and the one, praying. Kruxer! Trainer Fisk was standing in front of Aram at the bottom of the line, ready to attach the blackguard pin to each scrub's lapel. Time to pray later. The scrubs were smirking, triumphant, accustomed to and amused by Kruxer's quirks. They all stood proudly, hands folded behind their backs, stances wide, chests out. All around the training ground, the older trainees and the full blackguards were standing up, coming to attention themselves, standing the same way. Yes, sir. Kruxer jumped to his feet and came toward the line. He was smiling, but Kip thought it was a tense smile. As everyone was standing around, Kip felt the gulf between him and them intensely. Outsider, loner, alien. They were all he would never be. Sir? Kruxer came to stand in front of the trainer. He glanced coolly at Aram, who wouldn't meet his eyes. Yes, first. A blackguard's training is never done, but is the testing over for today? Yes, of course. Now get to your place. Kruxer said nothing, but he struck like a serpent. His shin, gnarled and calcified by years of kicking against posts, crushed against Aram's knee, crushed it backward. <laughs> Aram crumpled to the ground, gulping, gasping, eyes agape. Kruxer dropped his hands instantly and stood in a narrow, non-threatening stance. Training accident! For a moment, even Trainer Fisk seemed as baffled as Kip. What have you done? Permanent injuries inflicted during testing result in expulsion. Injuries during training do not. My knee! My knee! From the sound of his voice, he knew like Kip knew, like everyone here knew, he would never fight again. He'd be lucky if he ever walked again. Knee injuries like that didn't heal. Aram was crippled. I've wanted to be a black god since I could walk. I value this brotherhood too highly to let in a man who destroys unity rather than builds it. A man who takes money to destroy one of his own. If the cost to remove him from the black gods is that I too am expelled, so be it. What? 
What are you talking about? Aram's the second best fighter in our class. He took money to finish low. He took money to keep Breaker out. Oh, 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 he's Tyrion! He's a bastard! Oh, I would have done it for free! He's not one of us! Oh. You would have done it for free? So you did do it for money? Trainer Fisk shot a look over at Commander Iron Fist. A straight admission of guilt. How stupid was Aram? Is that one of us? You mean one of you? Because you'll never be one of us, Aram. Unlike Breaker. The last words sent a shock through Kip. Breaker! You heard the man. We got room for 14. And I only see 13 up here. Get in line! Double time! Someone get this trash out of here. <laughs> no! But the Chirurgeons were there instantly, and they carried Aram away. Kip limped over to the line, not even close to double time, but he felt like he was floating all the way. How much poppy had that Chirurgeon given him? No, this wasn't the poppy. Commander Ironfist stood in front of Kip. He took Kip's gold fight token and snapped it into a pendant. The front of the pendant was a black flame. This is the flame of Erebos. It symbolizes service and sacrifice. As a candle takes on flame and is consumed to give light and heat, so is a man who takes on duty. Day by day we give our lives to serve Aholam and his prism. Will you take the sacred duty, Kip Guile, Breaker? I will. And will you forswear other loyalties and have loyalty first to this body, to Aholam and to his prism? I will. Then I declare you, Breaker, a trainee in the Blackguard. Iron Fist worked his way down the line. The rest of the ceremony passed like a dream. Each scrub was sworn in, and then the older trainees and the full blackguards gathered around them to congratulate them. They eventually decided to go to a tavern that the blackguards preferred, all drinks on the new trainees, of course. Before he let himself be swept out into the evening, Kip looked for his father. Gavin Guile was standing where Kip had left him, ignoring for the moment a messenger who'd come to him with something or other. He had eyes only for Kip. The prism wore a bemused smirk, but maybe it was more than bemused. Maybe it was a little proud. Karis was dimly aware of the men leaving. She laid her face on the paving stones, praying they wouldn't come back, hoping for unconsciousness. It didn't come. She lifted her face and saw a pool of blood where her mouth had been. Her left eye was rapidly swelling shut, and the right doing the same more slowly. She felt sick from the blow to her head. There was a foul taste in her mouth, along with the flat metal taste of blood. She realized they'd rolled her onto her side so she wouldn't drown on her own vomit. She rolled onto her stomach again, and somehow started crawling. She could crawl, good. Part of her noted that she hadn't broken either her arms or legs. Good, good. Her hands were slick with blood and worse, and the paving stones cut her knees. Her ribs ached every time she took a breath, but if any ribs were broken, they were merely cracked. She'd had broken ribs before, and that hurt worse than this. Unless, of course, her body was masking the pain. Bodies did that, damn things. Something caught in her throat, and she spat up blood. Still had her teeth, but she bit the hell out of her tongue. Something was burning around her neck. She was afraid to touch it, though. Couldn't and still crawl. 
She reached the intersection five or ten minutes or a year later. What street was this? She'd just come down it, but she couldn't remember. Couldn't remember what part of town she was in. She couldn't go any farther. Her right eye was completely shut now. She realized her butt hurt. It kicked the hell out of her butt. And her legs were starting to cramp up. When she opened her one good eye, she saw someone walking toward her down the street. The man turned aside and walked wide around her. Others passed. Men and women. A man with a cart. None stopped. Poor Holm. Why didn't any of them stop? Helpless. She might as well be naked out here. She couldn't do anything. At the mercy of anyone who passed. Anyone who wanted to take advantage. She hated herself for crying. Everything just hurt so bad. Come now, sweetie. Everything's going to be fine. Such a brave girl you are. Sounded Elysian. Karis hadn't had good luck with Elysians. Didn't think much of them. Dressed as a black god, but white as a sail. You're Karis White Oak. She couldn't answer. Nodding her head was a victory. I'm going to pick you up. I want you to think about everywhere you hurt, so we can tell the Chirurgeons when we get to the Chromaria. Acceptable? Yes. Something about him seemed familiar. But no, she was certain. <clears throat> he picked her up, and she promptly passed out. When she woke, she was in a bed. She could tell she'd been dosed with Poppy because she felt far too good. She heaved her head left, saw the world swim, and then heaved it right. <sighs> Gavin's room. Ha, ah, she'd been here before. And oh ho, there was the man himself, the light of the tower, the star of stars, the moon's right hand. He was awfully handsome standing there, that one wave of his hair falling in front of his eyes. Karis, can you hear me? She smiled at him. She remembered seeing him without his shirt on at Sears Island. I want to see you naked. Oh dear. Had she really just said that? Gavin turned to a little man Karis hadn't noticed before, a chirurgeon in slaves' robes. I think we can ease up on the poppy. Always trying to tell me what to do. Karis lost the thought and consciousness. Gavin rolled the little brown ball of opium between his finger and thumb. Karis was still asleep, and the people were scurrying every which way in the hall outside, preparing for war. When the messenger had come to him at Kip's testing, Gavin had at first refused to understand the man's words, then nearly panicked. That Karis had been beaten had affected him far more than he would have expected. Look to what you love. They'd sail at high tide tomorrow. The mobilization was unbelievably fast because everyone had known that when the permission came, they would have to move fast. What was transpiring now was simply the last-minute orders. Still, there were a thousand decisions to be made. And though Gavin wasn't technically part of them, he still knew more than anyone here how to successfully put together an armada and an army. But for now, he sat at Karis's bedside. When he'd first seen her, caked with blood, he thought she would be crippled by her injuries. Then, after the chirurgeons had tended to her and reported, he thought it was a miracle she wasn't hurt worse. Now he realized she'd been beaten expertly and exactly how much whoever did it had intended. She'd been meant to look awful, 
without incapacitating her permanently. It had been intended as a warning to Gavin, not a declaration of war. His father had no idea. He didn't have any proof it had been his father, of course. There were any number of possible suspects, but with this timing, this care, this precision, Gavin didn't need proof. Seeing her on the bed, wrapped in bandages, unconscious, Gavin was made aware of how small she was. When she was awake, talking, her personality was so big you forgot. But here, she looked so vulnerable. A delicate flower, bruised. I'm going to rip their damn arms off, I swear it. Are you talking to yourself, or am I that bad of a faker? Karis cracked one eye. The other opened a bare slit through the swollen blackness. You're back. Did I, um, say something... Something embarrassing while you were mudged on Poppy? Like about seeing me naked? No. <laughs> You're lucky it hurts to move or I'd beat you bloody, Gavin Guile. Dazen. That one word was the whole reason he'd come here. The whole reason he'd waited until Karis was lucid. But after all the build-up, he was still surprised to hear the word. A bruised and swollen face and two black eyes and a split lip were not the easiest canvas on which to read emotions, and Gavin saw nothing. Karis's eyes were closed, like she hadn't heard him. Maybe she hadn't. Maybe she'd passed out again. A solitary tear leaked from the corner of one closed eye and tracked down her cheek. The door's open. Nothing for it but to charge through now. Corvin Danavis and I came up with a plan a month before the Battle of Sundered Rock. We'd made so many bargains with so many devils that even though I thought my original cause was just, I knew a victory would be disastrous for the Seven Satrapies. Corvin gave me a scar to match Gavin's, and a spy gave us the details of his battle dress. My mother knew it was me instantly, of course, but she didn't want to lose her last son, so she coached me how to be Gavin. I thought if I could keep my disguise for even a few months that I'd be able to stop most of the damage to the Seven Satrapies. I didn't realize how hard it would be with you. I didn't know how to even talk with you. I thought you loved Gavin. Marrying you. As him. It was one betrayal too many, Karis. I couldn't. I just couldn't. But maybe what I did was worse. The broken betrothal hadn't turned out so well. She'd disappeared, humiliated, financially ruined, and he thought he would never see her again. Part of him had been glad. The part that wanted to live. Surely Karis would be the one to see through his masquerade. The year she'd been gone had given him time to solidify his mask, to become Gavin Guile. Tell me. She wouldn't look him in the eye, and she made no motion to clear away her tears. Tell me everything. She already knew enough to get him killed, so he didn't know why it should be hard. In for a Dan, in for a Dinar, right? But the sick feeling in the pit of his stomach wasn't about life and death. Somehow, those were paltry things. This was about a woman who meant more to him than anything he'd ever known. He leaned back in his chair, then leaned forward. Seven years, seven impossible goals. He'd failed at this goal every year for the past sixteen. If she killed him for this, at least he would have done something right. So he talked. He told her about the fire at her family's house, how he'd found he could split light that night, and how he'd been wild with rage, thinking she'd betrayed him. 
He told of fleeing and shame, of being pursued, of having an army coalesce around him that he wasn't even sure he wanted to have. And then of Gavin rebuffing his offers to surrender. He told her how he'd finally started fighting with his whole heart, of putting Corvin Danavis in charge of his armies, of fighting across the length of Atash, of promises from several Perean clans, of how they needed those Perean reinforcements so badly they'd fled to meet them all the way into Tyria, where they finally found out they'd been betrayed. The Perean clans weren't coming. He said little about the final battle. He'd killed a lot of men that day, some of them brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of men and women he'd come to admire since. Then he talked about the years since, how he'd faced the challenges of learning to be Gavin, and how he tried to right the wrongs that so few of the other members of the Spectrum cared to try to redress. He spoke for more than an hour, and as he spoke, he could feel her softening, warming toward him, her expression opening. And finally, he'd reached the Battle of Garriston and its aftermath, and how she'd slapped him and said she knew his secret, and how he was afraid she'd known the full truth. Quietly, he shared, how he'd had to decide whether he should tell her the truth or kill her. Any warmth that had been gathering was dissipated, like he'd thrown his windows open in winter. He saw the muscle in her jaw twitch. You were going to kill me also? It said, You wanted the truth. Telling you means you could kill me. It makes sense, you bastard. Just don't expect it to warm the cockles of my heart. Gavin had nothing to say. He realized he'd ground the little brown grain of opium to dust between his fingers. I am who I am, Karis. Then he realized how ridiculous saying that was right now. I mean, I am the prism, so... I know what you meant. So, is that it? No, that's not it, Garrus. I killed Gavin last night. You mean metaphorically? So he told her. Then he backed up and told her about Anna. And he told her the truth. But the Blackguards, they said she jumped. They lied to save me, Karis. I didn't ask them to, I swear. Anna said some pretty foul things about you, and I knew I'd lost you forever. I threw her out onto my balcony. I, I don't think I was trying to murder her, but she hit the railing and tumbled right over. I went to the roof to try to balance. I can't anymore. So I went down to let Gavin out, to let him kill me. He couldn't look at her. Even with her battered face, he could read horror easily enough. He told her about Gavin. I didn't know what he did to you back then. How he humbled you. I should have figured it out, but I've been so worried about myself that I couldn't see even the most obvious things about those around me. I'm sorry, Karis, and I know I haven't acted like it, but I love you, and I want to spend the rest of my life with you, if you can ever forgive me. The silence was deep enough to drown in. Infuriating, incorrigible, inelegant, inefficient, incredible in both senses, but not in the end insincere are you days and guile huh kiss me pardon it wasn't a request he stood up from his chair and sat on the edge of her bed <sighs> sorry maybe not a request ah he kissed her with the gentleness of a man kissing an invalid she pulled back peering at him through swollen and slitted eyes disapproving that was horrible days and guile 
That was not the kiss I've been waiting 16 years for. Second chance? Hmm. You don't deserve it. I don't. You don't. But then, if you and I aren't about second chances, I don't know who is. He kissed her again, tenderly, but drawing her in. But what began as a gift for her benefit, a smooth, strong seduction soon morphed. He folded her small form into his, wrapping protective arms around her. As they kissed, he could feel a tension loosening in him, a tension that had been knotted for so long he'd come to think of that pain as part of the pain of being alive. <sighs> she pulled back, and instantly back on guard, fearing rejection, Gavin pulled back too. I'm afraid you've left me breathless, Lord Guile. Well, thank you. Because I can't breathe through my nose right now. <laughs> you are so beautiful. Gavin felt as if his heart had swollen too large for his chest. A dubious look from Karis. I might be part blind right now, but you shouldn't be. I got beat up, what's your excuse? I didn't mean particularly, precisely at this moment. You know what? I think my lips can make a more convincing case without words. Come back here. They kissed and kissed and chuckled together about Karis needing to take little breaths and Gavin misreading her little moans of desire and her little moans of pain when he got too passionate. The world ceased. No worries, no cares. That knot Gavin hadn't known he carried eased and opened and disappeared. And he felt suddenly stronger than he had been in his entire life. Free. Power of the secret broken. Chains shattered. Oh, Holm, have mercy. How I want to make love with you. I can be persuaded. If only my body were so amenable. I could be gentle. She pulled him close. After 16 years of missing you, Days and Guile, the last thing I want from you is gentle. He swallowed, speechless. Will you marry me? Karis White Oak. Karis, why are you crying? Because it's past time for my pain medicine, you big idiot. Oh, you have got to be joking. Gavin looked at the door like he could kill it with his eyes. He turned back to her. Does that mean yes? You've worn me down and taken advantage of my incapacitated state, so... So that means yes. You stupid, stupid man. Of course it does. <laughs> I love you, Karis White Oak. You ought to. The door opened, and a blackguard wheeled the white in. Gavin couldn't keep the huge grin off his face. Oh dear, have I interrupted something? No. Yes? <laughs> I see. You were just the person I was hoping to see. Hi, Mistress White. Would you be so good as to marry us? The white inclined her head, looking over the corrective spectacle she was wearing. Well, Gavin Guile, it certainly took you long enough. And Karis White Oak, slowest seduction in history. A woman with your charms. Is that a yes? Of course it is. Karis was grinning from ear to ear. I imagine that Gavin's heading straight off to war, and that you'll want this done as soon as he gets back. No, right now. Right now? Don't you want to give this some thought? We have no idea what we're getting into. And when will we? Some things you can't know until you're in them. I'll be in it with you. That's more than enough for me, right now. Figures. 
Gavin, you're willing to have your father disown you over this? I'm feeling invincible right now. How do you know about that, Aurea? Disowned? I'll explain. Later. Me too. Karis, you know what this may mean for your tenure. Yes. Rules are made to bend for the right people. Promise me a big wedding when you get back. Huge. And so they were wed. The vows were simple. In the discharge of his normal duties as Prism, Gavin had prompted brides and grooms through the vows himself. But today, he forgot them. And as soon as they were out of his mouth, they became a blur. He was barely aware even of the white. He had eyes only for Karis. He was filled with an inexplicable tenderness for this wild, frustrating, beautiful, stubborn, amazing woman. He kissed her again. <laughs> Time for more medicine? Karis nodded, apologetic. He found the tincture and poured her the dose. She accepted it gratefully and lay back on her pillows. Come back to me, my lord. Come back soon. You hear me? Yes, my lady. Gavin couldn't stop grinning. She was asleep in less than a minute. Finally, Gavin turned to the white. Well done, Lord Prism. Perhaps I was right about you after all. I do my best. I hope your best is enough to save us. And with a quiet moment, he remembered why he had worked so hard not to have quiet moments with the white. She would ask that they go to the roof and that he balance. She had all sorts of reasons. She would have heard all the stories that Marissi had told him. She would know what they meant. Do you know, I was on the roof the other day. And do you know what I saw? Cranes. Thousands of them migrating. Have you ever seen them? Not that I remember. They fly in V's. Something about it makes it easier. It was an odd thing to say, like you'd explain to a child. Gavin had, of course, seen migrating birds before. This year, they weren't flying in a V. They were flying in a single line. Thousands of them. So odd. Cranes never fly over water for long when they migrate. I could see they were struggling. Without the efficiencies of their normal formation, birds were dropping out, falling, dying. They flew straight toward me. And then suddenly, as they reached little Jasper, that odd line broke apart. The cranes rested that day on the Jaspers, as they have not for many years. And when they left, they flew normally. She didn't really finish her story. She simply stopped talking. Regardless, they were saved. That's marvelous. Have you had a chance to go up to the roof yet? Yes, yes I have. The White studied him. Did she buy it? Surely this was her telling him she knew. Unless, unless it was the ramblings of an old woman. Maybe senility came like this on a woman as bright as Aurea. Maybe she had the pieces, and some part of her was desperately trying to put it all together by talking it out out loud. Or she was warning him because of their friendship. Their friendship? Were they friends after all? But she was utterly dedicated to the Chromeria, to her duties, to the seven satrapies. He knew her next words were going to be, Gavin, we need to talk about how to ease you into retirement. Gavin, the generals are in my room planning the invasion. I think they could use your expertise. <sighs> that meant his father would be there. Frying pan, fire. 
Very well, Aurea. Let's save the world. <laughs>